We are on Ksubis Nun Amr Aleph, about uh, 13 lines from the top. We are, or 15 lines from the top. We are now discussing uh, two more takanos, two more decrees that the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court, issued when they were in Usha, when they were uh, left Yerushalayim. They were outside of Yerushalayim and they went to Usha. And so we have... Two more takanos, two more decrees to discuss. Says the Gemara, Amar Rav Yitzchak Bushes Kinushiu Adam Mizgalgal and Beno Adshtemas Reishano Bikam Ba'elach Yori Molchayev. Rav Yitzchak says that they are misakin. They decreed that a person should uh, learn with his child until he's the age of twelve, um, and learn with him in a in a peaceful way. According to some, it means learn at home, not in the context of a school. Until he reaches the age of 12, we'll see exactly uh, how this age fits with uh, other Mishnayos, let's say in Pirkei Avos or in other places, uh, and what exactly this is referring to, what type of learning. But it says until the age of 12. After they reach the age of 12, so then it says, Yorini Molochayev. What does this mean? So Rashi says, so then it's not, it's Talmud Torah, learning, studying Torah, is extremely serious, the most serious and important of all, uh, all of our endeavors, of all of our studying. And so then once they reach the age of 12, Rashi says, so then we have to be harder with them. We have, to, we have to really make sure that they're learning well, and so therefore we have to be harder with them, we have to punish them if they're not learning well. Uh, and that's after the age of 12. The Maharsha, a uh, classic uh, commentator on the back of the Gemara, he explains that uh, it doesn't mean, it means something totally different. It means that uh, after the age of twelve, if we see that they're not being successful in their Torah study, so then they should find they should work and find a job. Again, we are referring to societies where it was very normal and uh, common to work at a at a younger age. We've seen already for girls that they would work at a younger age, already under the age of twelve. And so for a boy, he's studying Torah after the age of twelve. If he's not being successful in his studies, so then he should find a job. He should work. So the Gemara asks, Inni, is this really true? We said, we have, we say that it's really, the, the cutoff is really six. That under the age of six, um, we shouldn't accept them. What it means that we shouldn't accept them, it means that, uh, some, some explain that it means that uh, we really shouldn't work them too hard. They should, the study of Torah should be day and night. Under the age of six, shouldn't be day and night. Be easier with them. Have send them to preschool. Let's be easier with them. Once they reach the age of six, so then accept them. Not just accept them, but a sort of a language of stuff it down their throats. Um, uh, the Marsha explains, again, the same commentator that we mentioned before, he explains that it means that... Um, He's not. Uh, he he shouldn't need assistance. He, he should be able to. Uh, he should be able to study on his own. Um, and again, we're talking about in a society where uh, they were they matured at a lot uh, at a lot younger of an age, and so they're able to study at a younger age. So the question is, I understand. We this seems to imply that the cutoff is six and not twelve. So which one is it? The more answer is in. Yeah, until the age of six, so then be very easy with them. Don't uh, uh, don't have them study so much. After the age of six, so then we we have them study more and more, 
And it's until the age of 12 where uh, we will be even stricter with them in terms of punishment. Uh, we'll be stricter with them. Or alternatively, another explanation is what is the differences between the ages of 6 and 12 is that one is referring to the study of Chumash. And when it comes to the study of Chumash, that's the age of 6. And when it comes to uh, the study of Mishnah, it's the age of 12. So it depends on what exactly we are studying according to this second answer. Now this Tosos already points out, the classic commentator on the page of the Gemara, he already points out that in Pirkei we have really uh, different uh, different ages. We have 5 and 10. Um, and so it could be that uh, at the, we begin at the age of 5 to teach them Mishnayos. Once they hit the age, uh, sorry, to teach them Chumash, once they reach the age of 6, so then we're, we're stronger with them. Uh, we want we we're, we have punishment to put in place once they reach the age of six in terms of teaching them chumash and mishnayos. We wait until ten and then until twelve for us to be uh, stricter with them. Okay, the Gemara says, "How can I prove this?" The Amr Abayi, Amr Li'im Abayi says Abayi was an orphan, so he says that uh, his mother, the mother, the, the the woman who raised him, would tell him Bar Mikro Bar Mishnah that it's uh, six to, for chumash and ten. Uh, for Mishnah. So that seems to prove this point that there are different ages for different types of study, different types of learning, uh, depending on whether it's Chumash or whether it's Mishnah. Again, in Pirkei Avos, it says for, for Gemara, it would be the age of 15. It says for Gemara, uh, the age would be 15. And then 18 for getting married. Now there is a discussion about whenever we have any of these numbers, 18, 15, 10, 12, 6, uh, what exactly are we referring to? Uh, because when a person has their, let's say, sixth birthday, they're really entering into their seventh year of life. Uh, so when we say six, is it really their fifth birthday, entering into their sixth year? Uh, when we say 12, is it really their 11th birthday, entering into their 12th year? Or are we referring to, no, the way we refer to 12, the way we refer to six, uh, the completion of that year. Is it about entering into a certain year or the completion of of that year, uh, so that that it's uh, that that's an important discussion. Um, could have relevance because a person is supposed to stand for somebody who's either sixty or seventy. Is it really sixty or seventy? Maybe it's uh, fifty-nine or sixty-nine. The one who raised the baye continues with uh, two more examples. Um, the uh, the gemara set of, of uh, that has to do with age. Two more uh, age-related discussions. And so the Gemara says, this is quoting the, 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 the person who raised Abaye, Bartlesa Latanisa Bas Tresar. That when it comes to a boy and fasting, so he has to fast uh, uh, at the age of 13, but from the age of 12 already, he entering into his 13th year, he has to fast uh, to practice. And for a girl, when it's entering into her 11th year, she has to fast. For sure, when she's 12, but entering into her 11th year, for chinuch, to educate them, to raise them, so that they get used to it, it's already from when they're entering into their 12th year, i.e. when they are turn 11, or for a boy, when they're entering into their 13th year, when they turn 12, so then we start to be mechanachem, and we try to educate them uh, so that they get used to it. Once we're on the topic of the woman who raised Abaye and her statements, we have another statement from her. Amar Abaye, Amar Li'eim. Abaye says this is what the, uh, when he refers to as his mother, the one who raised him, uh, said, Hai Barshis, the Tarka Le'akrabah B'yom, the Mishnah M'shes, Lo'chai. 
He said that a six-year-old child who's stung by a scorpion, on the very day that he finishes being six, he's going to die. He will not live. Amayas, who say, what is his cure? Meaning, according to some, this means after he's bitten, so then what do you do? According to Tosos, he explains that uh, what do we do to make sure that uh, they're as preventive, to, to prevent this? Uh, so what do you do? Atzvasa dedikla b'mayet nishbe v'nashke. So uh, you take the bile of a white vulture and you put it in beer and then uh, you should rub it. Um, sorry, I, I skipped. That you that you take a, a bile of a white vulture and beer and you rub him with the mixture and you make him drink it, which is interesting that you make him drink it because it's probably not kosher. Uh, we know that you're allowed to, uh, if necessary, you're allowed to drink not kosher if, yeah, obviously, if it's life threatening. Here, if you say like tosos, this is really uh, it's really preventative. Uh, because you don't know if this is if he'll, he'll be stung by a scorpion on the on that one day that he completes his sixth year, but you're still allowed to do it, perhaps because it's only a rabbinic prohibition. Uh, that that particular thing, anyways, that itself is a big discussion. Hi, Bar Shasa, the Tarik lazy boor Shasa Another thing she said is that a one-year-old child who's stung by a hornet on the day that he finishes his his year of being one also won't live. Maya Suse. So what's his cure? Atzvasa the dikla b'maya nishbe uh, so you basically you take palm tree fiber and you put it in water and again you should rub it uh, on him and also make him drink it. Okay, that's what the uh, that, those are two other statements from uh, the woman who raised the bai. Amar Rav Katina, Rav Katina says, anybody who brings his son to school under the age of six, he's going too fast according to this opinion. He's going and. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, he'll be weakened by his by his learning. It won't be successful, according to this opinion. Another version says no. That no, um, it, it means that his friends who are not learning at that young age will never be able to catch up to him. He'll be so strong that all of his friends won't, will never be able to catch up to him. The and the Gemara says that they're both right. both are correct. His friends won't be able to catch up to him, but at the same time, it will make him weak. It'll make him weak. Uh, he, he'll be uh, unsuccessful and, and, and weak, but his friends also won't be able to catch up to him. Alternatively, It depends on the child. Some children will have that ability to study under the age of six, and if they do have that ability, they'll be stronger and um, uh, ahead of the game, above their friends. And some people are weaker, and they, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll lose out. If you uh, teach them at too young of an age, it'll be worse for them. Uh, another being worse for them. Okay, so that is all uh, extensions, discussions based off of this takana, this decree from Usha, uh, where we said that uh, we discussed what, uh, when a person should um, get more serious in their learning, in their studies, in their Torah learning, as they teach their as they teach their child at the age of twelve, at the age of six. Uh, so that was the discussion that we had. We just had last takana. We'll now discuss the last takana, the last decree from Usha. Um, and just a little bit of background before we discuss this, uh, we're, we'll be discussing what happens when, let's say, a wife brings uh, certain possessions into the marriage. She brings certain possessions into the marriage. Some of those possessions are referred to as nichsei melug. Nichsei melug are the possessions that she brings into the marriage where the husband has the right 
to use it. Let's say a field. He has the right to benefit from the fruit of the field. He 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 could he could use it. At, uh, in terms of what we refer to as the peros, uh, the fruit and the histamshus, the usage of the field. However, it really belongs to the wife. Um, with regards to what it means that if let's say the husband passes away, uh, so then even though his estate is given to his close to his children. Uh, but this, anything that she, the, the nechse malog, the possessions that she brings into the marriage, is returned to her. However, if she passes away first, so then it, that then uh, it, it belongs to him. Then he gets uh, the actual guf, what we refer to as the guf, the actual uh, field itself, um, the ownership of the of the field itself, of the land itself, not just the ability, the right to use it, but he he gets ownership of it once his wife, if his wife passes away first. If he passes away first, so then all of it returns back to his wife. His wife then owns the field and is also allowed to use it. Um, um, uh, but if uh, she passes away first, so then it's then given to her husband. But while they're married, so then uh, it belongs, the actual ownership of the field is hers, uh, but the husband has the right to use it. So based on that, the Gemara says, Let's say she sells this field, this field which she brought into marriage, and the husband has the right to use it, she sells it while they're married. While they're married, and then she dies, uh, then the husband could take it away from uh, the buyer. The husband has a right to take it away from the buyer. Now, what exactly is, does this mean? If she sells this while they're married, uh, so what is she selling? She's not selling the right to use it, because that's not hers to sell. The husband also has the right to use it. Uh, so what she's selling is the actual ownership of the field. Well, that has no real ramifications Maybe a few small ramifications, but no major ramifications until after uh, she passes away. Until after she passes away, once she passes away, so then it should go to uh, it should go to that owner, to the person who bought it. Uh, that's what should have happened. Let's say uh, it's a bigger discussion, but let's say according to, to to Usha, the ones who made this decree, it really they make this. She makes this sale, uh, so the husband is really allowed to use. Uh, the field until she passes away. Once she passes away, well, she sold it to uh, to a buyer. That buyer now owns it. That's what it should be. However, we say that since the husband had the rights to the field, so then she didn't have the ability to. It's not. It's not completely hers. She doesn't have full ownership of the field, and so therefore it was a um, an, an illegal transaction. That's what the decree is saying. It was an, it's an illegal transaction. And it doesn't go to the buyer. The husband is allowed to keep it. Just like in any other case of Nechzimelug, the husband, after the wife passes away, is allowed to keep it. So in this case, the husband can keep it, and we do not uh, give it to the buyer. That is this Takana. Ashker bar Yosef le Rabbi Avo, Tavakai Usha. Rabbi bar Yosef found Rabbi Avo standing by the Uxla, the congregation of Usha. Amarle man mar de Usha. Who is the one who is giving off these laws that was instituted. Usha Amrle Rabbiosi Barchanina. He said, it's Rabbiosi Barchanina. He's the one who's disseminating this. Tanimin Arba Zimnan Vidamile Kamandamanchale Bikiste. And so then he learned this uh, this statement that Rabbiosi Barchanina was the one who disseminated this. He learned it forty times. He studied this forty times and then it became something as though it was in his pocket. He, he knew it as well as uh, what's in his pocket. Um, meaning, he studied it 40 times. It's interesting. It's, it sounds like he studied it 40 times just the person who was the one who was stating these laws uh, that was that was in Usha, not the laws of themselves, which is also interesting. 
Uh, perhaps it comes to show you what we've discussed in the last class about the Mesorah and knowing who's the one who's involved in, uh, in teaching these, these halachos, these laws. The Gemara, for the remainder of this Amun, for this page, as we, uh, before we turn the sides, uh, we'll discuss uh, different psukim, different uh, verses, and expound upon these, these different verses. Ashrei, it says in Tehillim, in Psalms, Ashrei Shomer Mishpav Osei Tztaka Bechol Eis. Happy are those who keep uh, mishpat, uh, justice, and who perform charity at all times. What does it mean to perform charity at all times? Different explanations. One opinion is, A person who sustains his children while they are minors. Again, let's say it's above the age of six. It's not an obligation per se. Highly, highly recommended. So that's doing stuck at all times? That's doing giving charity at all times to one's children. Alternatively, it's referring to raising orphans, adoption, adopting and to the point where you take care of them and marry them off, which is fascinating. That's the ultimate charity of raising uh, orphans, uh, adopting children, and then marrying them off. There's, a, there's also a big discussion if one can fulfill the mitzvah of Puruvu, the mitzvah to procreate if they can't have their own children through adoption. That's a uh, very big discussion, uh, but at the even if that uh, is it's a discussion, uh, but even if that even if it doesn't fulfill pruvu, the mitzvah to procreate, but it it's viewed as a charity which applies at all times. The next pasuk, the next verse says also in Tehillim, um, it says, "Hon omedes laad." Wealth and riches are in his house, and his charity endures forever. What does it mean? It endures forever. Um, how could it endure forever? If it's money, the fact that you're giving money, well, then that doesn't endure forever. You're giving it. So one answer is that it's referring to somebody who studies Torah and teaches it. He's not losing anything. Um, he doesn't lose anything of his own. Um, and it continues to exist. The other opinion says, somebody who writes Torah scrolls, Sifre Torah, Torah scrolls, and he lends them out. It remains in his possession, uh, but others gain from it because they're able to use it. So whether it's the study of Torah and you teach others, and so they gain from it even though you don't lose out, or whether it's the writing of a, of a Sefer Torah, of a Torah scroll, and others lend, uh, borrow it, that's also uh, you don't lose out, and others people gain, other people gain from it, and that's what it's referring to. Um, finally, the last verse, also in Tehillim, in Psalms, Shalom al Yisrael. And see your sons, sons, it will be bring peace to Yisrael. What, when does it, having grandchildren bring peace to Yisrael? Rabbi Shubhan Levi says that having grandchildren, it, it makes it certain that you won't have to do chalitza or yibam. Chalitza or yibam are done if a, person does, a couple doesn't have children. Um, we discussed this when we did the tractate of, of, of yibam, yivamos. Um, and doing chalitza or yibam. Yibam is difficult because you're adding a sister-in-law as a wife. It makes it very complicated. If chalitza is embarrassing, not having to deal with that is, is peaceful. Rabbi Shmuel bar Nachmin Amar Kevin Shabbat Levanacha Shalom Adayin Yisrael Delosid Linsuya. Alternatively, it means once there's grandchildren, so then you don't have all these fights. If let's say there are no children in the picture when it comes to Yerusha inheritance, I'm the closest relative. I'm the uncle. I'm the nephew. I'm the second cousin. You won't have these fights. There are children around. You won't have to have these fights. They'll bring peace to the Dayane Yisrael, to the judges of Yisrael. Okay, we completed Daf 
Nun Amid Aleph, the first Amud, and we will continue in the next class with Amud Bez.